0: Welcome to the podcast, People of the Book. I'm your host, Meryl Ayn. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We chat with authors and storytellers in thought-provoking and intimate interviews, all with a Jewish twist. On today's program, I'm delighted to welcome Dan Grunfeld, the author of By the Grace of the Game, which chronicles his family's journey from the Holocaust to the NBA. Dan is a former professional basketball player, an accomplished writer, and a proud graduate of Stanford University. An academic All-American and All-Conference basketball selection at Stanford, Dan played professionally for eight seasons in top leagues around the world, including in Germany, Spain, and Israel. Dan's writing has been published numerous times in media outlets, such as Sports Illustrated, the Jerusalem Post, and NBC News. He earned his MBA from the Stanford Graduate School of Business in 2017 and lives with his wife and family in the Bay Area. So, Dan, thank you for joining me today, and I'm excited to speak with you about your compelling book, which I just finished this week. It tells the story of your family and the impact of the Holocaust, communism, immigration, love, loss, and basketball. Uh, So that's a lot packed into one book. Um, Can you tell us uh, briefly, Dan, about the book and um, why you wanted to tell not only your own story, but also the stories of your father and your paternal grandmother?
1: Absolutely. So Meryl, thanks so much for having me. So you mentioned a little bit about my background. I played basketball at Stanford. I had a successful professional career. And basketball is really the family business. You know, my dad was a high school All-American out of Queens, New York, a college basketball legend at the University of Tennessee, then Mm -hmm. played nine years in the NBA, including with the New York Knicks, and was an NBA executive for 30 years. So he's very well known in the game of basketball and in the world of sports. But what has not been as well known is that he's the only player in NBA history whose parents survived the Holocaust. So both of my grandparents are Holocaust survivors. My grandmother will turn 97 years old in June, live in the Bay Area. Oh my goodness,
0: I was wondering about that. Oh, that's wonderful.
1: And and as you know, Meryl, because you read my book, she is the star of the story. She is the star of our family. And she remains that to this day. She's just the most incredible person. So I, I grew up very close with my grandma, very close with my dad, knowing the profound impact that basketball had had on our family. You know, for my dad to come to the United States as an immigrant, not speaking a word of English, having never touched a basketball, and then to stand on the Olympic, uh, the podium as a gold medalist 10 years later, wearing the stars and stripes, right, for the United States. It's really a, a Cinderella story, an American dream story. And, you know, as I got older, as I learned more about it, it became my dream to tell it.
0: You know, it's amazing because in the promos for the book, unless I didn't notice it, there's a lot of stress on, on, the, on the fact um, that you're, you know, the grandchild of Holocaust survivors and your father was the child of Holocaust survivors. That's something I'm very interested in. You know, my, my um, post-Holocaust novel, The Takeaway Man, is, is is about that topic. Um, but I was equally fascinated um, to see that um, your father was actually um, born in communism and in, in Romania. And, and that's a whole story in itself, isn't it?
1: It is. And you mentioned that there are different layers, different components to it. So there's the Holocaust, but there's this you know, story of my family living under communism, but then immigrating. And so my dad, again, being the sports figure, people hear him in interviews. He just sounds like he's from New York City. But yeah, he grew up under communism in Romania, on the border of Romania and Hungary. And they fled as refugees when my dad was eight years old. And they actually had passports to go to Israel. It was the state of Israel that paid for Jews to be able to leave communism. And at the last minute, my family had an opportunity to come to the United States but yeah, listen. They they spent ten hard years under communism, and as you know from the book, you know there was a lot of brutality during that time, and a lot of uh, a lot of hardships there as well.
0: So, um, when when did you first learn about your father's story, about your um, grandparents' story, and and how did that understanding change or deepen as you grew older?
1: Yeah, I, always, I grew up knowing what happened to my grandparents. You know, I, I, my grandmother has a very thick accent. My dad and my grandma speak to each other in Hungarian. So I, I knew, even as a young kid, and kids are intuitive and perceptive. So my family didn't even have to tell me. You know, you, you hear stories yeah. about loved ones who are no longer with us. And so okay. I always knew as I got older, I asked more questions. I learned more. As you know from the book, I went to Stanford and my grandmother lives 25 minutes from campus. So we spent so much time together when I was in school I remember eating dinner with her during the summers because I would live with, at her apartment and I would have a red notebook and I would just ask her questions about her experience. You know, because I was I was general, genuinely interested and always really cared about our family history and my dad as well. You know, I would interview him and ask him and when I decided to write the book, and by the way, it took me more than five years to write it. So it's, it's really been a, a labor of love, but I did a year and a half of research. And during that period, I asked every question I could imagine, you know, what happened to all my grandmother's family members during the war. And, you know, she lost five siblings and both parents in the Holocaust. My grandfather lost his sisters and his parents. He lost everyone, right? So asking those questions, understanding what happened to them, understanding what happened, you know, under communism for my dad as an immigrant in the U.S., you know, so yeah, a year and a half of, of questions can can get you a lot of depth. And so I think the book really benefits from that level of detail.
0: Well, it's got the level of detail in your family's history, but there's also a tremendous level of Uh, Detail in the in the general history um, of the times that you're writing about. I was wondering um, how did you research that separately, or did you just did you get that from your um, grandmother and your father? And we should say, I don't think we said your father's name. His his name um, Ernie Grunfeld. (laughs) Um, That's right. Brought that up. (laughs) Um, So did you? Did you re- have to do absolutely historical research or did you get most of the information uh, from your family members?
1: No, I did quite a bit of historical research. You know, I thought it was really important to contextualize my family story. And there were interesting things in history going on in the various decades, various geographies. And so I thought it was really important for the reader to kind of understand what was going on around my family at that time, and so I leveraged, you know, all the sources at my disposal. Of course, what, as as relates to the Holocaust, the Holocaust Museum and Yad Vashem were amazing resources. Things like Encyclopedia Britannica and, and just anything you could think of. But uh, yeah, I had to make sense of all that history. And again, I thought it was really, really important for my readers to also have a sense of what was going on at the time.
0: Yeah, I'm really interested um, in your. Uh position as a, as a grandchild of survivors, that they call them 3G. Uh, I know, I have um, friends who are 2Gs and 3Gs, and there's been a lot written about the second generation. I'm, I'm interested in your generation. Do you feel you have a special responsibility as a grandchild of survivors to tell the story of the Holocaust?
1: A hundred percent. You know, I think it is our obligation, our responsibility to share these stories. My grandma always says, you know, if we don't tell them no one else will, and it could happen again, you know, and we have to make sure it never does not just to Jewish people to any people. Right. And all we have to do is turn on the news and see what's happening around the world. And, you know, when people aren't treated fairly, when there's injustice and intolerance, you know, we all need to stand up against that. And I think sharing stories like this are, are a part of that. And, you know, I, my dad, of course, being a 2G, me being a 3G, it's interesting, you know, there, there are some distinctions there, because my dad is so close to that tragedy and that trauma that he doesn't talk about it much. And you know, Merrill, I write a lot in my book about privilege, and I'm privileged in a lot of ways, and one right. of them is that I have a generation of separation from that tragedy, and so I can look at what my grandparents overcame and be inspired by it, want to honor it. you know, I have that luxury. My dad didn't. He was born out of the ashes of the Holocaust, you know, and he fled communism as as a refugee. And so that's that's a much harder history. And so I do think that there are differences, you know, in between the two G's and the three G's. And from where I sit as a three G, yeah, it's, it's definitely my obligation to share these stories and the big reason why I wrote my book.
0: Yeah, some people have suggested uh, that there's inherited trauma, certainly with, with two Gs. Do you, do you feel that that extends to the grandchildren as well?
1: I think it does. You know, and I talk about it honestly in the book, that it's, it's hard to shake that feeling and, and to the fact that you know, you, someone you love as much as anyone in the world, right, for me, that's my grandmother all her family was killed, you know, our family was murdered, you know, and that's, that's something that stays with you and the injustice, the pain, the sadness, that's not something that even generations can wipe away, you know, and that's what family is about. It's about love. It's about relationships. And for how much I love my grandma, to know what she went through to know all that loss, loss, it it trickles down to you. It, It absolutely does.
0: I was so tremendously touched by your special relationship with your grandmother. You call her Anu. Is that how you pronounce it? That's right. Yep. Anu. Anu. Every grandparent I know would would be just thrilled to have that sort of relationship with their grandchild. But it, it is unusual. I was wondering how did that relationship develop and why was it so important to you?
1: yeah we we do we have such a special relationship as you said and it was always that way you know she would come visit us when i was a a, a small kid and we just had this really incredible bond you know we would play cards together in rummy cube she would cook for me she would rebound for me on the basketball court she would she was just the, the best you know and and as you know from the book Meryl, i I visited Stanford's campus when I was in seventh grade, when my older sister was looking at colleges and we were on a trip to California to see on you. And I made it my goal to try to go to Stanford. You know, I wanted to be near my grandma. Of course, it's a very good school. It's a good basketball program. But it was really about my grandma being there. And, and I did go to Stanford, you know, through a combination of luck, timing, skill. But I got to spend four years with her. You know, and she was at my dorm room every Sunday to drop off my clean laundry, pick up my dirty laundry, stock my stock our fridge. You know, with all my roommates. I mean, I my, I've been treated very well over the years in that way by my grandma. But spending all that time with her, our bond just deepened. You know, and and we just have so much love for each other. And I I just admire her, respect her, adore her. She she's truly one of a kind. That's
0: that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So just on a, I don't know if it's a lighter note, but it's a different note. I was just intrigued by the role uh, comedian Buddy Hackett played in helping your grandparents when they left Europe. You describe that in the book and also the follow-up to that. Would you tell us about that? Tell our listeners about that a little bit?
1: Yeah, you know, sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. And I always grew up hearing the story about Buddy Hackett. And as I was, of course, Writing the book, chronically my family story, that that was front and center for so many reasons. Not only is it just an amazing, incredible story, but it's a true act of kindness. You know, mm-hmm. and so the story goes that you know my grandparents finally got passports to Israel to be able to leave Romania. They weren't able to take anything of value with them out of the country, and they were able to save up money illegally under communism by kind of transacting on the black market. And, you know, as I write in the book, it was illegal, but it wasn't shameful. It was the only way to survive. And they had a thousand dollars worth of Romanian money and roughly 4,000 American dollars. And they had friends who were jailed, tortured, or killed even for having money. Right. But my grandparents had chutzpah. They were Holocaust survivors. You know, they, they saved their money. They kept it in an old clock radio. And when it was time to leave, you know, they looked at each other and said, you know, we we fought for this money. We need to build a life. We need to figure out a way to get it out. And so, they got every cent of their money out. No spoilers there. Uh, the Romanian money is also an incredible story, which I'll let people read in the book, as you know. But they figured out a way to, to smuggle that money out. But the American dollars were were harder. And my grandmother happened to have a cousin, also a Holocaust survivor, who was a production assistant on a movie set in Budapest. And Buddy Hackett was the film's biggest star. And so. Uh, my grandparents said to, to their cousin, well, listen, ask Buddy Hackett if he'll take his money out, if, I, if he'll take our money out. you know, He's a, a Jew from Brooklyn who served in, in the Second World War. And uh, my cousin, who's, by the way, alive and well in Budapest, uh, he he asked Buddy Hackett, who didn't hesitate. He said, if you can get me the money, I'll take it out. And as you know, how they got the money from Romania to Budapest is a whole other story. My grandma had to sew a false bottom into a suitcase. They had to transport it. But once it hit Buddy Hackett's hands, it was no longer illegal black market money. And he took it to, to the States. He sent it to my great uncle in the Bronx with an extra $50 on top, with, which that, in today's money is like more than $1,000, right? So such, such an act of kindness. And there was a note and all it said was, good luck in America. Sincerely, Buddy Hackett.
0: Right? just an awesome hmm? story. That is so awesome. And then there's a follow-up in the book. So you uh, everybody read the book and you'll find out uh, what happened. <laughs>
1: Yeah, there's uh, a really happy, it's already happy because he took the money out and it was waiting for my family when they got to New York City to get started. But there's a really happy ending to that story as well that you could read in the book.
0: Right, so I, the book is is the by the grace of the game and it is about basketball. So I would be remiss in not spending some time uh, in this interview on basketball. I will say at the outset, I do know... Uh, what the NBA is and the Knicks because I have three sons Uh, but I'm not an expert on basketball but so I will let you inform me and our listeners if they don't know so can you talk about first of all the importance of basketball in the life of your family first what it did for your father and and what it did for you and and how it was a, a, a very important force in your family.
1: Absolutely. And Merrill, I'm glad you said what you said about not being maybe the biggest basketball fan, because that's what's <laughs> been so heartening about my book is that right. so many people have reached out and said, you don't need to like basketball to like this book. You don't need to yeah. like sports. That, you know, and, and, exactly.
0: uh, I, because I, you know, I, and I learned a lot about basketball, which will enable me to converse with my children better. So thank good. you, sir.
1: <laughs> my pleasure. Uh, yeah, so... You know, basketball is is a vehicle for my family. And so I mentioned my dad coming to the United States as an immigrant, you know, didn't speak English, had never touched a basketball. Kids made fun of him for not speaking the language. And my dad had an older brother, my uncle, who was eight years older than my dad. And what my dad called his brother in Hungarian translates in English to my king. You know, think about that, to call someone my king. You know, that's how much my dad looked up to his older brother, revered him. So my uncle was diagnosed with leukemia a few months after arriving in the United States and he passed away within a year. So for my family, it's the biggest tragedy, you know, surviving the Holocaust, getting to America. But then for my grandparents to lose a son, for my dad to lose a brother, you know, it's a hole that can't be filled. And I'm named after my uncle, you know, my middle name is after him. And that's something that I carry with me. It's an obligation that I take very seriously. And so for my dad, you know, he was an at-risk youth in America who didn't speak the language, who had lost his brother. And so he went to the playgrounds in New York City like the rest of the kids. And you know, what they did there is they played basketball. And uh, you know, he so, tell, says to me now, you know, if you could play ball in the neighborhood, that's how you made friends. And the better you were, the more friends you made. And so I, say, I could say to him, well, you must've made a lot of friends because it just, it kind of clicked for him. You know? And I think, and as you know, Meryl, from reading the book, it was basketball that took him away from some very hard things. You know? And I don't think he would have flown so far so fast had he not had so much to escape, you know, the tragedy of the Holocaust, the tragedy of losing his brother. And so he became an all American high school player, truly a phenomenon and a legend in high school. You know, again, a legendary college player, very successful NBA career as a player and exec as an executive, but you know, it was the game that shined its light on him when, when he needed it. And so that's why my book is called by the grace of the game. You know, he became an Olympic gold medalist, you know, a decade after arriving as that young boy who didn't speak the language. So it's, what basketball has done for my family has just been so remarkable. And I carried it forward, had my own career, you know, has have bonded with my dad and the rest of my family over the game. So for so many reasons, it's just one of the most powerful forces in our family.
0: Thank you. So uh, I learned also from your book that basketball actually has a pretty strong Jewish history in the United States. It does. does. <laughs> especially as far as professional sports go, and especially in New York. Can you talk a little bit about that? And I'm interested, was that something you always knew, or did you discover it in doing research for your book?
1: It was something I was aware of, but I didn't understand the details or really the depth of it until I started researching it. Because, you know, basketball was an immigrant game in the 20s and 30s, uh, played in New York City in the tenements, and largely, largely Jews who were playing the game. And so, you know, the first NBA game was played in 1946 by the New York Knicks and the Toronto Huskies, and all five members of the Knicks starting five were Jewish. You know, wow. and the first basket in NBA history was scored by Ozzy Sheckman from Kew Gardens, Queens. So, <laughs> so very, very he- heavy uh, Jewish involvement in the game. You know, there's a very famous quote from the 1930s in the New York Daily News, which I, I include in my book. Uh, By the sports editor saying, well, of course, something to the extent of, of course, basketball is a Jewish game because it places a premium on smart aleckness and artful dodging and craftiness, right? So very anti-Semitic quote, anti-Semitic tropes there, but kind of confirms that, yeah, it, it was a Jewish game. And so that was something that I thought was really important to talk about in the book. And, you know, for my dad to be the only player in NBA history, but actually the only player in the history of the major American sports leagues whose parents survived the Holocaust, you know, I think, again, like to contextualize that journey, I thought that history was important.
0: Right. So you mentioned anti-Semitism. You write in your book, not only about your father experiencing um, anti-Semitism, but that, that you experienced it. How did that affect you, and, and how did you deal with it? I,
1: I absolutely experienced it. I think it's just the important reality of being Jewish, that even if it's not readily apparent to the naked eye, it's always there under the surface. You know, I had people call me names and I heard people tell jokes. I write in the book about being at a baseball field with friends in my hometown in Northern New Jersey, opening up a blue shed there, which housed the equipment. And there was a white swastika painted on the inside of the door. And I froze. And I was probably eight, nine years old. And I froze because I knew that symbol. I knew what it meant. I knew what my grandparents had been through. And so those things, you know, they, they make an impact on you. You learn that the world is not fair, that people won't treat you right for one reason or another. And for us as Jews, there's certainly so much prejudice. And so I, I talk to a lot of young people and groups of, of students. And you know, when we talk about this theme, I say, you know, be proud of who you are, stand up for yourself, but also stand up for others. Because there was a point in history where we really needed voices. You know, we still need them today, but in the 30s and 40s, we really needed them. And there weren't enough of them, you know? So we need to be a voice, not only for ourselves, but for other people um, and also be, be close as a community. You know, you you have each other and and uh, the last thing that I always tell youngsters who have dealt with this is you're not alone. You know, this, this is again, part of the world we live in. And so, you know, something my dad dealt with, something I've dealt with, how, you know, my kids will have the opportunity to read my book to learn these lessons, but my wife and I will also talk to them about these things because, be, they need to know about it because this is the reality of the world.
0: Yeah, I want to. I want to ask you about your decision to to play for uh, basketball teams in Europe. I was a bit surprised by that, and I was wondering what your experience was. Did you experience anti semitism? And I know that you said your, your grandmother said, go for it, but what went into that decision and what was that like?
1: Absolutely. So after my career at Stanford, you know, I had suffered a very traumatic injury during my career. It kind of altered the trajectory of, of things and I was you know, borderline NBA overseas and I made my career in Europe. And that's very common for college basketball players who want to continue professionally. And my first opportunity was in Germany. And so I write in my book, I'm probably the only professional basketball player who had to call his grandmother to ask permission to sign his first contract. <laughs> and that's the truth. You know, my agent called me and said, hey, I have a great opportunity for you in Germany. And I didn't even hear the rest of it. All I heard was Germany. I said, I have to call you back. I have to talk to my grandma. And I called on you and I told her. And I'll never forget what she said. She said, sons are not responsible for the sins of their fathers. You know, you can't blame this generation of Germans for what that generation did. And she said, you know, that's what people have done to Jews over the course of history. You know, they've blamed us for things. They've made assumptions about us. And you're not going to do that. And we're not going to do that to other people. So she gave me her blessing. I went to Germany uh, for a year. I had a very good experience there, you know, on the basketball court, also off. You know, I visited the site of the Nuremberg rallies. I went to the Holocaust Memorial in Berlin. I became very close with a teammate of mine who was a German national team player who's Family was on the other side of the war. Right. So we could you know, right. find kind of common understanding there. And then you know, after that, played three years in Spain and four years in Israel, which was so meaningful for my family. And you know, I played for the team in Jerusalem. So, you know, my dad was in the NBA. He played for the New York Knicks and he wore number 18, which is a symbolic number in Judaism. And I played for Jerusalem. Right. So it kind of continued that that lineage and that legacy of basketball and Judaism in our family.
0: Well, I, I love that, the, the number 18. So can, you've talked a lot about the lessons you learned from your grandmother. Can you maybe tell us about one important lesson you learned from your dad, Ernie Grunfeld?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I've learned so much from my dad. I think that, you know, my family story is a lot about attitude, you know, perseverance and hard work. And so I learned those things from my grandmother, but definitely from my dad as well. So my dad has always told me, if you work hard, good things will happen. You know, and and, and it's a very, it's simple, but it's very poignant. You know, you, you have to put the time in, you have to put the work in. He saw his parents do that at their fabric store as immigrants, as Holocaust survivors. He did that as a basketball player. He imparted that on to me and I have applied it in a classroom on the basketball court. I know you asked for one, but I'll, I'll tell you another thing that he's always said to me, which I'll always take with me. He always says, you know, be above it, you know, and, and handle yourself with class and dignity, treat people the right way. Mostly he's led by example and he's modeled that for me, you know, as a, as a player, as an executive, he's really just handled himself with a lot of dignity. And, you know, again, my book is called By the Grace of the Game and the word grace is intentionally used. I think my grandmother is the best example of grace. You know, she just carries herself that way and my dad does as well. And that's something that I, I learned from both of them.
0: What was his reaction to this book?
1: He's very proud of me. He's very grateful that I memorialized this important story. But it's been hard for him, you know. And and as you know, Merle, because you read the story, basketball took him away from all these really really hard things and losing his brother. That's not something he talks about much. You know, the Holocaust isn't something he talks about much. And Again, going back to that conversation of the generation of separation, right? I can spend five years researching it and writing about it and talking about it, but he, he's never done those things. So to reread the details of his brother's passing, to read new details about what happened to his grandparents in the Holocaust, he never had grandparents, right? He never met them. They were all killed in Auschwitz. So that part of it's been very hard for him, but yeah, he, he's the best dad in the world and he's, he's very proud of me. He's very grateful.
0: Wonderful. So what was the message Uh, or messages that you wanted to send readers in, in writing this book?
1: There was a truth to my family story that I wanted to convey. And there is darkness in the story, but there's much more light. And I always drew so much inspiration from my family story, knowing what my grandparents overcame, knowing what my dad overcame, the type of people that they were despite the tragedy that they suffered. That always served as such a source of inspiration for me I wanted to tell the story so that others could hopefully draw a similar sense of inspiration. Listen, when you, I, I love to read, I love to s- tell stories. I wanted people to enjoy the, pro- the process of reading it, to be entertained, but I wanted there to be more than that. You know I wanted them to really have a feeling of hope and inspiration after reading it, and you know the feedback that I've gotten of that is that I, I did achieve that goal, and there's nothing more meaningful than that.
0: Well, I'm a fan and) <laughs> And so I think you accomplished something. But I want to ask you, did you have a particular audience in mind when you wrote your book? And who do you want to read it?
1: Yeah, so I think the clear audience, right, is if you're a basketball or sports fan, Jewish, that concentric circle is a very clear kind of overlap for this story. But I consider this a human interest story. You know, I think that this is the type of story that you know, is read by people who just love a great human story. And so, while there is a target audience who this book particularly is relevant to, I've been so grateful that again, there are people who aren't sports fans, aren't Jewish, who email me every day thanking me for writing the book, telling me they're moved by it. That's what that's what's really meaningful. You know, so if you care about family, if you care about you know goodness and hope, uh, that this you know that's the folks that I hope really pick up this book and, and enjoy it.
0: Okay, well, I, I'd like to know what are either, what are you working on now or what's next or what are you doing now that, that the, I, I know you're out speaking about the book, but I was just curious about uh, what you're doing now. Besides-, yes.
1: oh. <laughs> Besides Yeah, so listen, this, Sort of like this book is my life's work, essentially, right? It's my soul on a page, and so I am continuing to spread the message of the book and, as you said, talking to a lot of groups, we're talking about bringing the story to different formats. there are movie conversations, there are some other conversations which are really, really exciting. So I want to give my all and see those through and you know continue to share this story. I love to write, so I, there will be another book and there'll never be another one like this, you know, because this is this is the, the big one, right? This is my, my right. grandparents' survival story, my dad's story, my own as well. So this is a big one, but definitely love to write, love to tell stories, plan on doing more of it.
0: Great. Well, it looks like our, our time is running short, Dan. Is there anything you would like to add?
1: I just want to thank you, Meryl. I mean, I'm really grateful to chat with you about the story that you read and enjoyed the book. It means a lot. And I always tell people, you, you don't write a book you don't write any book but certainly not a book like this to you know to make money or to become famous it's not about any of that it's because it lives in your heart you know and that's what the story is for me and so to be able to just talk about it and share it with people it's very very meaningful for me so i just want to say thank you
0: well you're welcome it's a pleasure uh your book is very inspiring and so was your interviews thanks so much for joining us today dan grunfeld I also want to thank our executive producer, Pam Stack. People of the Book is a copyrighted presentation of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Please visit us and like our Facebook page, People of the Book. I'm your host, Merrill Ain. For more information about my post-Holocaust novel, The Takeaway Men, visit me at merylain.com. Until next time, please join us on Facebook at Jews Love to Read and read a good book.